on this episode of Rebel Spirit Radio. The contents of what we're calling energy, right? It's the structure. Is we're talking about electromagnetic fields versus physical. And we're also talking about the content of that, which is psychological in nature. So we're, we're in this domain of subtlety. You know, the yogis have this thing they call gross, subtle, causal, or we call it, we call it body, mind, and spirit now, but it's gross, subtle, and causal from the yogic tradition. That word subtle is perfect. Mind is subtle. Energy is subtle. It's not gross. It's not obvious. It's not what you see. And it's not what your physical body gives you as a feedback in terms of sensation. So it's not so straightforward. It's subtle, but it's there all the time. Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, I'm joined by Keith Parker, teacher, author, and healing practitioner. In a wide-ranging conversation, Keith shares his spiritual experiences that led to his co-founding of Field Dynamics, an energy healing modality. We also discuss the nature of energy healing, working with subtle energies, consciousness, and how the aura just might resolve the mind-body problem. Also, please be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. Your support is truly appreciated. Keith Parker is a teacher, author, and healing practitioner with expertise in the human energy field, contemplative science, and the healing arts. He is co-founder of Field Dynamics, an energy healing modality for which he is the lead teacher. Initially, Keith used meditation as a vehicle to understand and refine subtle states of consciousness. Over the following decade, he studied the healing arts including movement, breath work, body work, energy work, and other disparate disciplines. During this intensive period, Keith had a series of breakthrough spiritual experiences, enabling him to see and feel the human energy field with remarkable clarity. His first book, due to be published in 2024, is an exploration of how the human aura informs our understanding of the mind-body connection, consciousness, and reality itself. Keith, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Happy to be here, Nick. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you. You've got a very interesting background here, and I really want to know about this field dynamics, but... I think first it would be useful to you to kind of share your story to with the audience. I just read this quick bio, but having spoken to you before, I know you've got a really interesting backstory here. So I thought we would begin with that. What led you to the place that you are now? Well, I'm, I'm in a place that I didn't ever anticipate being doing energy work or specializing in energy work, uh, working as a facilitator, you know, healing facilitator. These are kind of destinations, unplanned, unforeseen. Really the thing that drew me into this path was starting like many people do, which is uh, an interest in the big questions about myself, the nature of reality, who am I, what is this? And, and driven to that through suffering driven to that through discontent feelings about life relationships with my emotions, myself, my strivings that made me 
um, feel as though I was not following the right path, not following something born of wisdom, let's say. So this began about 13, 14 years ago. Uh, I was working as a music producer and musician in New York and Brooklyn. I had a recording studio, living a pretty excellent life on paper, really wonderful things, doing the things I set out to do. And because of this discontent, if you will, this suffering, something woke up in me. And I started to meditate every day. Um, I'll keep the sequence, the chronology short here, because I could go on and on, as we all can, about our, our narratives and our story. But I basically started to meditate every day, practiced asana, came in within the first year, I started practicing yoga as well and breath work. And, you know, some people go to classes a little bit here and there, and some people get into meditation a bit or a, a little more. I, I be dedicated myself entirely to that, to the degree that in the jazz world, because I came from a musician's language, uh, we call it shedding in jazz. If you ever hear this, like a musician goes into the shed and they practice like six, eight hours a day. And if you do that for a prolonged period of time, you really upgrade your abilities quite quickly. Malcolm Gladwell is famous for his 10,000 hours kind of idea. And if you think about what that requires to get 10,000 hours, you know, like three hours a day, a year, one, you know, every over the course of a year, for instance, is about a thousand hours. So if you did three hours a day of something for 10 years, you might approach that. Well, if you do something for about eight hours a day, uh, for about three years or so, you kind of get there three, four years. So I did this with meditation and, and asana and breath work. I really, really took a deep dive into those traditions, particularly through Buddhist and yogic traditions. I spent a lot of time in India during that period, a lot of silent meditation retreats, etc. And I just immersed myself in, in those practices and those philosophies. And it was the first time in my life I was connected to spirituality, etc. And after about four years, four and a half years of doing that, I started to turn my direction back into the world. You know, I kind of left the world for those four years, if you will. And I came back into the world. I said, how do I contribute? How do I um, participate? How do I have a job moving on from the music industry uh, that aligns with what I'm doing? So I decided to move to Los Angeles. I started teaching yoga classes and I started teaching meditation courses. And I also started studying body work and Healing work was where I saw a real opportunity. I had experienced some craniosacral work, some acupuncture, some energy healing from practitioners in Asia and in New York a little bit beforehand. And I said, there's something there to it. You know, there's something to healing modalities and techniques that take all the kinds of skills that I'm interested in and format it in a way that I can connect with people and, and, and do good and contribute and be of service. So I started to study healing modalities really intensely. And for a number of years, I specialized in craniosacral work, which is hands-on somatic body work, a lot to do with the nervous system. And that was my training ground in healing in particular that took all of this concentration and meditative prowess that I had developed over the years and applied it to being able to kind of meditate with other people, but through a healing technique. And what, what was revealed quite quickly in that process was this word energy, because what started to happen was I was, I was starting to notice this process whereby starting to work with a person's physical body led me to the emotional aspect that was disrupting or connected to the physical disruption. And then that emotional aspect kind of trailed into more and more abstract spaces, like the word energy, like seeing things around people, having odd kinds of, you know, more like energetic, even psychic type of experiences with people that I didn't know how to categorize 
but nonetheless was happening regularly when people were on the table when I was working with them and which is what I was doing in my own inner inner work. It was becoming more and more energetic, more subtle, as they would say in yoga, gross to subtle. So that went on for a number of years. And during that period is when I had what you described from my bio as a breakthrough. And I, I had this very kind of massive opening that happened pretty much overnight. You know, there were many steps to get there, but overnight, basically for, through an explosive kind of an experience, very transformational one, I all of a sudden was really in touch with this world of energy. I could see chakras. I could feel my energy field. I could feel all the meridian channels going through all my fingers and all my body parts connecting my organs, etc. This world of energy was real. And it went from being something that I can only speculate about and, and kind of dimly understand and grasp at to something directly perceivable and a hundred percent clear. Um, and that process continued on in terms of refining and clarifying, being able to see and work with energy more and more clearly for many years. And after some of those years, I started to develop along with Christabel, this modality called field dynamics, because what, what really led me in terms of techniques and practices was whatever is most relevant for me. So I went from craniosacral work into subtler and subtler forms as I continued to try and study what it was happening with me, the phenomenology of my own personal transformation, how to address that through different techniques and understand it. Uh, and I really found a home ultimately with energy work because it worked explicitly with the human energy field. And there's a, a potency to it, um, a huge opportunity to discuss what it is, what it means, and to bring more clarity to the conversation around that. So in a certain sense, that's why I'm here today. And that's why I, I focus on energy work because I, I can see and work with the human energy field quite uh, unlike most people can. And that doesn't make me special, but it definitely gives me a particular vantage point and perspective that can be very informative for a lot of other people. I think it's really fascinating. It, it is really fascinating. And I want to pause maybe and go a little bit deeper perhaps on some of what you just shared. Uh, could you just to start with i you know i'm familiar with some things like you know the chakra system and kundalini and whatnot not so much with the cranial sacral work could you say just a few more words about what that is for anyone like me who's kind of unfamiliar with it sure so craniosacral work which also connects to this word craniosacral biodynamics is a community of practitioners that focus on a particular phenomena that can be used as an access point to do healing work. The top line understanding of craniosacral work is that, or the, the mechanism that's being attended to is what they call the cranial respiratory, cranial rhythmic impulse or cranial rhythms. And people might say, what are you talking about? What's that? Basically you have your spinal canal, you have your hips on the bottom, sacrum, bottom of the spine, and then you have your brain on the other end of the pole. You think of these as positive negative poles of the body. And you have in that spinal canal, cerebral spinal fluid that pumps up and down. So your spine is actually empty, right? But then, and your ventricles are the empty spaces within the brain in which the cerebral spinal fluid pumps, pumps in and out of. So there's a fluid that's literally pumping in and out through an, a, a, an empty cavity in the center of your body. And you can learn to palpate, to put your hands on somebody and to listen to the rhythm, which expresses this motion from the core of the body outward through the various tissues. So think of it like a wave-like form that comes from the center that emanates from the core of the person's body out towards the periphery. 
and I've blurred my screen. And basically you can learn to listen to the symmetry and the balance of that rhythm to where that uh, rhythm expresses itself and where it doesn't. And the general idea is that where it is dimly expressed or where it's disrupted, there is a, a blocking or a lack of life force or vitality or flow through the body in those areas. Now that's the starting point. You know, it's like listening to the nervous system rather than palpating, you know, certain kinds of tissue rather than working with skeleton. It works with the way that the nervous system breathes in a sense. And there's all kinds of, I, I taught, I taught a foundational courses, like 20 hour courses on this in Los Angeles at an institute there. I, I'm fascinated by cranial work. It's wonderful. And, and what happens is, as you go through different lineages, different modalities that work with this cranial phenomena, and some focus more on the anatomical, physiological level, and then others get increasingly energetic. Because what happens is, is if you, if you find the deeper emanations or origins of these rhythms, they actually don't start with the physical body. They actually, they actually come into the physical body from outside of it. And that's where you make the connection between the physical and the energetic or the, the, the material and the immaterial aspect of what's going on with the body-mind system. Okay. So would this be like um, a trauma, for example, uh, that is kind of, you know, a, a psychological trauma or something that can then manifest itself physically? Because that's one of the things that I'm really interested in is this notion that we store our traumas in our bodies. Yeah. So let's, let, let's get into a little bit of like understanding from my, where it is that I specialize. It's important that I, you know, put a, a big disclaimer on what it is I discuss because we can, we need to consider this on some level theoretical. It's my, you know, it's, it's the field dynamics model of how the body mind and how the energy field and the body are connected. We have a, a real rationale and it underlies and explains the phenomenology inherent in energy work and the, and the holistic healing process. But I want to put a disclaimer because I don't want to come across because it's a pretty well-developed way of understanding things. I don't want to come across as saying, hey, this is what it is. And if you disagree, then you're wrong. It's not, that's not our orientation. However, we do see that the, the, the way people tend to think about things and certainly the scientific paradigm right now doesn't account for the kinds of things we're talking about. So let's start from the ground up a little bit because your fascination links directly into what we do. Like it's, it's, you know, lock and key. We have an energy field. Okay. The aura is a real thing. It's definitely not made up. I'm, I'm hundred percent sure about that. That's not theoretical. Okay. And it's not theoretical in the sense that, you know, it's been talked about for thousands of years, depicted, et cetera. It's not some metaphorical, you know, allegorical thing. It's a very real thing. You have chakras, you have meridian channels, you have an overall energetic field and it's very relevant, very real and vital, the, the maintenance or the development of that and the overall well-being of the individual. So the main thing or the big word that divides what your energy field is from your body is that your energy field is electromagnetic. It's not material. And science focuses on what we call matter. It's material. It's, you know, it starts with hydrogen and the periodic table, or you can break it down to atomic components like protons and neutrons, electrons, then subatomic particles, et cetera, et cetera. But the whole point is the building blocks of matter are physical and get more and more abstract as you go down the line. And then there's a point where there's reality that's non-physical, right? And that's like things like the phenomena of light, electromagnetic fields. And your aura is an electromagnetic object, if you will. 
And in that sense, it's non-physical, it's immaterial. And this is where that word in so many traditions is metaphysical. You know, when you get into metaphysics, what are you talking about? Well, it's, it's what's, it's what's not physical beyond the, beyond physical, right? So everyone has an aura and that aura is organized, very particular. It is very complex. And you can think of it in one sense because it represents and has many functions simultaneously. But one way of thinking about it is that it stores a tremendous amount of information. So we know that, you know, we use computing technology now and all kinds of information is stored in the cloud and fiber optic cables and your, and your data, you know, chips on your computer, et cetera. There's a whole lot of information that you can pack into different things. You know, whether it be genetics, a biological information storage device, if you will, or your aura, electromagnetic fields can, can also store a lot of information. Now, what's the information in your aura? Now that we've said you have a physical body and you have an energy body, an electromagnetic body, right? The information there is the information of mind. It's the contents of what your mind is doing. So when you have a thought, your thought literally blooms in your field. It has a structure, a form, and it has literal objective existence in that domain. So everything you think has a form. All of the things you've ever thought, in fact, are in some way accessible and stored and have had an effect on your field. And that includes thought and emotion. You know, the, an emotion is, is complex in that it's a, it's a more of a blurry or a vague word that kind of connects between maybe body and mind, it has body and mind components. But the main thing that people need to get across is that your field is a reflection of everything that is happening psycho-emotionally. And if you can see a person's field clearly and they're thinking, you literally are seeing them like, you know, I'm moving my arms. You see me moving my arms because that's the action of the body. So if I'm thinking, you would actually see that my thoughts have forms that are moving in my field. And that's the movement of the mind, right? So when we talk about um, trauma or energetic blockage, it's when things are happening mental, mentally, uh, emotionally, psycho-emotionally that are formed in such a way as to create disruption to create fragmentation, to uh, create distortions in the field. And, you know, we can think of this as either very high impact events like a car accident or an assault or something that happens once and has such a strong impact in the moment that there are massive amounts of reper repercussions at both physiological and psychological levels. That the, that the, you know, if you get in a car accident, you can, you can have all of these different things happen where, you know, you break a leg or you break your collarbone, but you can also be thinking, oh my God, I'm about to die as it's happening. Right. And that can be a traumatic experience to, to have that. Right. It can be a thought that actually doesn't process or metabolize in your field. And so it stays there as a stagnant thought form. If you eat, if you eat nasty food, right, like food that you have a really hard time digesting, what happens? Well, your body can't process the toxins, can't metabolize the toxins, and it goes and it stores it somewhere in like a fat cell or a liver cell or something like that. Same thing in your aura. If you have a thought that doesn't metabolize well in the psyche, right? Western psychologists will say, well, it becomes a repression. You know, if I think of like, oh, I want to really kick that person's butt. Like I hate them. I hate them so much. And you keep thinking about that. That's a very toxic thought. That's not something that just metabolizes and flows in your field. It actually creates pockets of distortion within your field. And, and then we'll have a linkage to the physical body. So I'm going to just stop there for a moment and bounce it back off of you because I feel <laughs> like what you're, what you're, what you're bringing up though, is like 
This is the one of the most interesting, juiciest, alluring aspects of trying to understand the body-mind connection and how the field plays a role in that. Yeah, no, thank you for all of that. And um, I, I find it fascinating. And what I'm doing is I'm actually thinking about my own personal experiences. And I'll share this very briefly. It was, I guess, about two years ago now, a little over two years ago, I suddenly developed, and suddenly may not be the right way, but this pain in my back right shoulder. And it traveled down my right arm and down my back and through my legs. And I have a history of sciatica, but it was uncomfortable to sit. And it lasted for quite a while. And I had felt the first time I felt something like that was when I was driving back to California from a visit in Colorado. And it's it was always really difficult for me because Colorado was home and I drove too long. And that's when I first felt the pain. So I had a one of the over-the-shoulder massagers, you know, to try to work mm-hmm. the knot out. And it, it went away, but this kind of came suddenly. And what seemed to precipitate it was I had been a finalist for a job that would have brought me back to Denver. And I was like second choice. And so I didn't get the job. And it was like two days later, boom, all of that started happening. And what I did is I had this intuition that there was an energetic issue that Mm -hmm. it wasn't just a body issue. There was an energetic issue as well. So I had gone to, I thought, well, I'll try acupuncture. I had never seen an acupuncturist before. And I went, he was this uh, little Chinese man, barely spoke any English. And at one point he bent down and kind of whispered, he's like, I am sorry you are so sick. And he said also that he's like, your energy, it's all blocked. It's all blocked. He's like, right in here. It's all, I'm like, yes, that's it. (laughs) And so it really, and I have a, one of my best friends is a massage therapist. So she was doing a lot of work and uh, she's interested in the energetic healing, but doesn't really incorporate it. Uh, I'm like, I'm your guinea pig. So all of this to say there was this, I feel that there was something not just with the body, but there was something emotionally, mentally, energetically that was manifesting. And the to end a very long rambling story here, I ended up making the decision to move back to Colorado shortly afterwards because I felt like that, that there was something there. And I it made me wonder how much of the pain that we experience, and I certainly wouldn't suggest that it's all of it, but the pain that so many of us experience, how much of it does have a kind of energetic component to it or foundation. And it doesn't have to be a trauma like a car accident. You know, I think that we're all exposed to a thousand minor traumas on a regular basis. And it seems like all of those would store up somehow, some way. Absolutely. I mean, let's say the the case that you're bringing up, right? And I'm going to abstract this away from you as an individual, but use it as a, right, as a kind of 
teaching point or so, something like that. Illustration. Yes. yes. Um, so let's just say that somebody grows up and let's say they're the younger sibling and the older sibling is really, really good at things, really athletic or really smart or something. And maybe the parents prize that quality in the older sibling. Maybe they're like, oh, Johnny's so smart, always gets A's and you, you get B's, you know, and starts to build up this sense of I'm not, I'm not good enough. Like I, I'm like, maybe I'm not as good as Johnny and maybe I'm just not good enough. And when I'm in competition with people and I come in second or I don't, I don't win, then I get kind of angry. I get kind of frustrated. I get sad, you know, and I feel like the, the idea, the character, the belief is I'm not good enough. That conditioning can start at three years old, five years old, seven years old. That conditioning could even, by the way, be inherited by through ancestry as well, which is an interesting place to even look and how the mechanism of transmission there is really interesting. And we can discuss that, of the possibilities there. But let's just say that that's a conditioning that Johnny has. I'm not good enough, right? And all of a sudden that, that thought, which has associations in memory at point, in points in time, that, that belief also has emotional components. So there's strains of emotion that are created or generated because life is seen through the filter of that belief. I'm not good enough. Well, when I don't feel good enough, what's that like? Well, I, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, right? The, the belief comes first, right? The experience stimulates and filters through a belief and then the, that belief distorts the way in which it's received. Um, and then all of a sudden, from some kind of a conscious sense of, oh, I'm not good enough, all of a sudden it's been thought of so many times, the groove becomes so deep in the mind that it starts to go into the subconscious and it starts to just be a presupposition about Johnny's interaction with the world when he goes into his teenage years or his late teens or his 20s and he's looking for jobs or he's trying to have intimate relationships and, you know, these kinds of things. So all of a sudden it, it gets a denser and denser and denser and denser and iterated over and over and over and over again, right? So it becomes like very, very textural. There's like layer after layer of relationship to this I'm not good enough memory after memory, association after association. Now that's a structure in a person's energy field. That's a person, that's the structure in a person's psyche, that belief, those emotions, they color and distort the field. And because they, it becomes rigid, becomes like crystallized by, by it repeating over and over again and not being metabolized, not being resolved, not being healed, not being understood. It actually starts to be that it creates this groove. It starts to become an ingrained pattern within the psyche. And that has a connection to the physiological function. That has a connection to tissue in the body, to organs in the body, and to physiological functions. And if that maintains itself long enough, it may literally start to disrupt the functioning of the physical body. It may be that all of a sudden the kidneys don't work so well, or there's serious inflammation in a certain part of the body, or the immune system starts to function funny, or the blood cell count starts to waver, whatever it might be. And symptomology arises and physical pain arises. And Johnny thinks, oh, I'm starting to have this knee problem, or I'm starting to have an issue with my digestion. What's that about? There's a psychological underpinning to that. Now, is that how everything comes about in terms of physical or, or physiological dysfunction or symptomology? Of course not. That's not the only way it comes about. It's not that the only way to have any kind of medical or symptomological 
you know, issue or symptomology is because there's psychological or emotional stress. That's not a one-way street, but it is one way that we can understand things do happen. And this is exactly what I see and we see within the world of energy healing over and over and over and over again, um, that it's when things stagnate uh, for too long, when they fester psycho-emotionally that are not dealt with, they will start to work their way potentially into the physical body so that basically in a sense, what if you think of this as like, why, why, why would things be structured this way at all? The idea in part here is that there's meaning to your experience. And then when, when you don't deal with those challenges in your life, those psycho-emotional issues, your body's going to start making the message really, really clear and say, hey, you have to look at this. Mm. That's, so, that's so how would someone go about let's say you know you use johnny here with the inflamed knee or uh, stomach issues or something how would they go about thinking or examining whether or not there is an energetic component to what they may be seeing as merely a physical ailment mm. it's a good question you know, the methodologies with, with which we investigate something will really be a par big part of what we can yield or understand about it. So if you were to have no frame of reference and just think about where does it come from, it might not be so easy to understand that oneself. If you were to go to, let's just say it's knee inflammation, okay? Let's just say, if you were to go to a knee doctor, right, somebody who specializes in orthopedics or something like that, they're likely not going to be like, hey, so what's the psycho-emotional stuff behind the right. issue? Right. Okay. Allopathic medicine, mainstream Western medicine, whilst amazing and something that is extremely important and valuable to the general public, does not have a framework to understand of the holistic aspect of right. the mind in relation to the body. And so what they tend to do is, um, when it comes to symptomology, is they use the word curing it, which means if your symptoms abate, you know, if there's knee pain and inflammation and we can make that knee pain go away and that inflammation go away, then that's a success. It's cured. We don't care about what the origin is. We just want the thing that's bothering us to go away. So that's usually through pharmaceuticals or through surgical procedures, et cetera. And they, they can be successful in cutting off something. So you might have a knee replacement. You might have some kind of cortisol injection. You might have pharmaceutical pills that numb the pain. But those things don't, if there is an emotional component, a psychological comp component, they're not addressing them and they're certainly not getting to the root of the problem. So it depends on the person and what it is they're doing to investigate the thing, to, to have the potential to find out what it's about in the first place. And I bring this up initially to say the mainstream way, the, the indoctrinated way that we are in relation to our health is such that most people don't think and or have the education or whereabouts to, to get involved in the holistic consideration of the situation. But if you do look into the world of alternative medicine, complementary and alternative medicine, you mentioned acupuncturists, things like energy work, there is obviously there's the world of psychology and that has its own divisions between mainstream clinical psychologists all the way through depth or transpersonal psychologists. You know, people are working on a broad spectrum there within the psychology world some of which would approach things holistically, others not. And then there are things which are going to be more explicitly holistic in nature, like a lot of alternative healing methodologies are. 
So it, it, I think it just depends on the kind of magnifying glass or the inspection mechanism as to what Johnny's going to find out. Okay. So let's say Johnny comes to see you and, you know, they find their way and they're like, look, I've got this issue and help me, help me. How does this manifest like in the aura and how do you interpret this information? And that may be a really huge question. So if it's too big, that's fine. Just say, hey, no, I can't explain that. But uh, I'm curious on how this works. Yeah, so I guess there are a lot of pieces to that. So somebody gets in touch with me and says, hey, I'm having this particular issue in my life and I want to work with you and see what comes comes of it. Okay, great. So, you know, what's the issue? In this case, Johnny has a the knee issue and uh, says there's pain in the knee. So the first thing I'm going to do is an intake and I'm going to use talking to find out when did this start? You know, um, what's, what's the history entirely of it? You know, for instance, something that's often that's common is like, okay, so, Hey Johnny, when, when did the knee pain happen? Like you were mentioning, you started having this back issue days after not getting a certain job and then leaving your sense of home, right? Hmm. There was a there was a historical moment that had quite a lot of charge to it that makes sense contextually as to why there might be an energetic something that then leads to a physical something. So very often a simple question for Johnny is, you know, when did this pain start? And he might say, "Oh, well, actually it was about a year ago and I what's what was happening in your life, you know?" Well, you know, things were actually a little bit tough around that time. I like, you know, lost my job or, you know, I had a breakup or something like that. Okay, that's interesting. So tell me a little bit about that. And maybe there's some story behind that, some emotions, some beliefs, some tension, right? What has Johnny done since then to address those things? You know, is he still holding on to stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to talk through a little bit so I understand the history of what's happened because Energy work in the aura doesn't work on the physical body. It literally can't work on the physical body. We're working at an electromagnetic level, and then how we can change things electromagnetically translate indirectly into how that is connected to the physical body. So energy work is not physical. I can't, I can't work on Johnny's knee, but I can work on the correlates of Johnny's knee within the energy field, right? And that means the psycho-emotional components in relation to what the knee is as a physical expression. So... We would start there. I get all the, the history, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe there's a lot of information. Maybe not. Maybe Johnny doesn't know nothing was happening. I, I have no idea. Right. I, I don't know. I just, I just have knee pain. And that, that happens sometimes. I talk yeah. to people, they come in with stuff and they're just like, no, I just have a problem. I, I don't know. There's no, no, no particular historical or emotional circumstance in relation. Great. Then we go into the more specialized work and we, we connect energetically. And we'd go, maybe let's call this the formal practice where we go from eyes open, talking to eyes closed and, and investigating and navigating the internal landscape. So I train a lot of people. Field Dynamics is about training people. First and foremost, we created the modality to provide professional and comprehensive training program for people to really learn how to do this kind of work well, both for themselves and others. And everybody has different ways of sensing. So I have a particular way of sensing, which is my strength, and that is my vision and my, my feeling. Because I, I see the energy field clearly, but I also actually kinesthetically feel it entirely as well. So anything I'm seeing move, I'm also feeling move, which sounds a little bit strange, but both of those 
faculties of subtle sensing are, are conjoined with me. Now, um, that's what I lean into when I'm working with somebody. So I connect to Johnny's system and we say, okay, let's drop in, let's relax. And people receive differently and people have different um, communication interests during this kind of stuff. It could, we could be quiet the whole time. We don't have to talk. But what I'm going to do is we're, our systems are going to connect. Our energy fields are going to more or less link up. And I'm going to start to circulate energy through my system that doesn't come from me. I'm, I'm like an open channel, if you will. The healer doesn't heal is a principle here in energy work in that we are conduits for higher levels of consciousness, if you will. And that's energy work is that, that skill in which you learn to technically engineer or create or uh, facilitate that process of bringing in things, bringing through things, if you will. And you use your own system as a, as a battery pack, if you will, but you don't drain your battery when doing it, but you, but, but nonetheless, you plug into the other person. So I'm going to sense and scan Johnny's system and see what's going on with the knee. But in general, where is my attention drawn? What am I seeing? So that could, that could present itself as, oh, well, I can really feel that tension in the knee area. Or it might be that, you know what, it really is pulling me to somewhere in the core towards the chakra system, for instance, which is very core in the person's psyche and is very core in the energy anatomy. It is the core of the energy anatomy, these things called chakras. So depends where I'm drawn, and it depends also what I'm, in a certain sense, guided to see, if you will, in terms of once we start to address that knee thing, what, what's the feedback in our reflective systems that then guides us deeper together into understanding the complexity of this at whatever levels. So there might be emotional things that come up. There might be more kinesthetic feeling tone things that come up. But the point is, is Johnny has a block. We're trying to understand the nature of that block. And then what we're doing is bringing in energies and healing processes to get the stuck energy or the trapped energy that has created that block to open up and to flow and to start to circulate again. And it's the same reflection in the physical body, you know, like we have inflammation and that means that like, there's not good blood flow in those areas. There's not good nutrients being brought to the tissues or the cells in those areas. And so we want to reduce the inflammation. So the circulation increases. Same thing in your field. You have thought forms and emotions that concretize or get too dense. And basically your, your energy doesn't flow or circulate well in those areas. And when you can release those stuck energies, all of a sudden more vitality comes, more circulation and health comes. Now, is there anything that your clients, um, patients, um, after this energy healing experience, is there anything that you have them do on their own? And what I'm thinking here is specifically about, you know, you've mentioned beliefs and thought forms and emotions. And it seems like a really important conjunct with this would be being mindful of the things that we're thinking and the things that we tell ourselves and to try to deconstruct a lot of those beliefs so that the energy can continue to flow properly. Yeah. So there's always a, a talk about integration with clients and in general, the way that we teach people is there's gonna be the education piece to any client about what is integration like, you know, now that we're done with our hour and a half session or 75 minute session, what's, what's going to go on? Well, number one, 
there's going to be a period of change for generally 48 to 72 hours. Again, this is reflective of how the physical body works. You know, you go to the gym, you maybe do too many squats or something like that, and your legs are really sore and peak soreness is 48 hours later. Same thing with changes in your field. When things change that are significant within your energy system, it's generally gonna be two to three days to allow things to reorganize in a natural way. And it's important as you're bringing up to remain mindful and to be mindful of those changes. So let's just say in this case, we did the session with Johnny and we found out that that knee stuff had a, had a lot of anger involved with it, right? Maybe there's a strong emotion that arose in Johnny during it. You know, we, we, we burrow into some area of blockage we find 20, 30 minutes in, all of a sudden an emotional piece really starts to come forward and I'm really sensing that emotion. And I check in with Johnny and say, hey, what are you sensing right now? Johnny goes, I'm actually kind of emotional right now. And I say, okay, could you describe the emotion? He goes, yeah, it's like, I'm really kind of angry, right? Great. Let's say that that's opening up and changing and starting to circulate again. I'll, at the end of that session, of course, I'm going to say, look, this, this issue came up that there was some anger involved, which you brought up. And because of what we've done, we're kind of opening that up a little bit. We need to remain mindful. It's important that in the next two or three days in particular, there may be some anger coming up. And there may be other kinds of emotions that are coming up that might not have even presented themselves in the immediate session here, but that are related to this overall issue that start to kind of come forward a little bit more. It's normal in the healing process. So it's really important that you contextualize that, you remain mindful, you realize that it's natural and that when those emotions are there that you try and not attach to them, you try and not indulge them, you try and see them with objectivity, with neutrality, and just let them go, let them be. You know, if you need to take some time for yourself, you know, you know, excuse yourself, be solo, take some time with meditation, take a walk, whatever. But nonetheless, realize that the context of what happens over the next few days in particular is going to relate to what we've done now. And if these same emotions or other kinds of states that are unusual for you or marked emotional states or moods or, you know, strong thoughts, consider that they're related to what we've done and to you know, try and relate, to, let them keep moving, basically, let them keep moving. And allowing somebody to move means having a particular kind of relationship to it, which is that of neutrality, where you don't, you know, this Buddhist word like attachment, you don't hold it, you don't, you don't like tighten around it, you allow it to be You relax into it, and you don't judge it. And that's what allows things to change. Now, in the bio that I read, it said that uh, you've also studied body work. And I'm wondering, do you incorporate any of that in the work that you're doing? Because it seems to me, you know, I mentioned that I had a really good friend who was a massage therapist, and it amazed me that uh, when she was going through school, her training, we were roommates, and so I was her dummy body, mm -hmm. which was a really sweet deal because she would practice on me, but there would be times where she'd hit something, and then there would be this emotional response and for me it was always laughter i just would just start giggling kind of uncontrollably <laughs> and that's when i first realized that we hold all this stuff in our bodies so i'm wondering if you're if you also incorporate body work in uh, what you're doing sure so i think a, a helpful way to understand the field and body connection is that everything in your physical body is mapped into your field meaning there's a correlation. Every piece of information that your body has is also translated into an electromagnetic aspect. Mm -hmm. So when we try and 
pick these things apart and distill them as a total, totally separate, that's just not the case. The, the, the body-mind connection or the field-body connection is one in which there's a fusion and reflection and correlation between the two. So bodywork is a wonderful thing. And yes, I extensively have studied bodywork. And I'll tell you, those first, the first, let's say, well, my initial foray into bodywork was not to be working energetically, but I didn't sense any energy when I first started doing bodywork. I was learning to sense tissue. And this is what palpation skills are all about. And that's a wonderful skill to learn how to literally feel through your hands, which are the most exquisite sensing mechanism the physical body has is basically the palm of your hand mm. that you place your hand on a person and through your hands, you can learn to feel skin, muscle, bone, cells, blood, all kinds of stuff. When you get down to the levels of specialization, like different kinds of osteopaths or visceral manipulation communities, myofascial release, deep tissue, rolfing, cranial work, all kinds of fascinating specializations that often it takes years to really get good high level differentiation to things that are not obvious, but understand that, right, that there's a world of palpation that is about physical tissue. Parallel to that is energetic sensing, and they're not the same thing, but you can learn to widen your perception and start to differentiate and navigate between the two. Now that's a very integrated and combined skill set which most people don't have because it takes a lot of time and it also takes a lot of curiosity. So a lot of people tend to be either more energetically inclined or more physically inclined. And I'll tell you that any body worker I've ever spoken to has been, who has been doing it long enough automatically starts to have an energetic component come into their palpation skills because it's naturally where, where they're led as they learn to work more intimately and deeper into a person's system. Sometimes energy workers don't do a lot of hands-on work, so they might not have much physical um, like familiarity. What we do in our training is the majority of what we've done thus far has been online. So we're just working without touch. We're just going field to field in a certain sense, just purely distance work. And energy work is 100% effective at a distance because you're working field to field, which is non-physical and it's, it, there's no, no loss, if you will. Now, when you do energy work with hands-on, you have the opportunity to include all the information that the physical body has to offer, but it requires more discernment, more subtlety of what's what layer to layer. And that's, that's actually not easy. So I think actually people are at a real advantage in, in terms of learning energy work to start by just focusing on the, ener on the energy and learning to sense through energy. Because again, the palpation skills, if you can call them that, because it's not palpation tends to mean through the hands, but the sensing skills like we tend to call forms of extrasensory perception is really the sensing that an energy worker is doing. Like, how do you feel, right? How do you feel a thought or how do you sense a thought? How do you sense an emotion? So we get words like clairvoyance, clairsentience, intuition, empathy, you know, claircognizance, these, all these kinds of special superpower psychic kind of terms, whatever. Those are, are more or less a sense of the translation of what the skill set development is for doing energy work. Now, people don't have to learn to do those to do energy work, but it is the natural progression as one gets more and more comfortable with what it is to perceive and read and work with energy and understand what's changing moment to moment. Yeah, it seems to me that, you know, energy is so odd. I, I I know that in 
traditional medicine there it's just kind of thrown away it's they're set aside but yet we do often feel energy and you know an example was my best friend and i went to a store a few weeks before christmas and as soon as i walked i could just feel the energy in the store there was just something off about it and I can't explain it any other way. And she didn't want to spend too much time in there. And I commented when we left, I'm like, man, the energy. And she's like, yes. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it just struck me that, you know, there's probably throughout our days, all of these times that all of us are kind of reading energy, but don't really make that conscious, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And so I, I guess that would lead to the next question. And I think I already know your answer to this, but we can all learn to work with the energies, right? Yeah, 100%. This, like I'm saying, the contents of what we're calling energy, right? It's the structure, because we're talking about electromagnetic fields versus physical. And we're also talking about the content of that, which is psychological in nature. So we're, we're in this domain of subtlety, you know, the yogis have this thing they call gross, subtle, causal, or we call it, we call it body, mind, and spirit now, but it's gross, subtle, and causal from the yogic tradition. That word subtle is perfect. Mind is subtle. Energy is subtle. It's not gross. It's not obvious. It's not what you see, and it's not what your physical body gives you as a feedback in terms of sensation. So it's not so straightforward. It's subtle, but it's there all the time because what's happening, you're always thinking. You're always interacting with other people. You're always interacting with other energy fields, like in places like you're describing. All, see, it's not just that, it's not just that people have auras, it's that matter itself has an energetic component, has this electromagnetic component. So even a rock or a tree or a house has an energy field associated with it. All matter has its this counterpart, if you will, or a symmetry, if you will, in an electromagnetic field. and. I don't sense us getting into the, the really geeky technical things in this talk, but this is about what are called higher dimensions and understanding the strata of the layers of the field and how the physical body is like is nested within the field and that what are called higher dimensions in a lot of the new age world are really talking about the electromagnetic field aspect of the organization of reality and what things like cutting edge neuroscience are figuring out right now, like things like at the Blue Brain Project in Switzerland recently. And what they're finding out is that your brain, the way that the synapses fire and coordinate is not through three-dimensional topology. It's not through what we would consider length, width, and height, what we call 3D or physical reality. Your brain coordinates through higher dimensional geometry. And that is the most cutting edge and expensive brain research that's ever been done. So what are they saying? They're saying that your your body, your brain, which is the nervous system, which is the master physiological system, the coordinating system of your whole body, right? Many people think your mind is your brain, but rather think more something like, well, maybe your brain is actually a linkage into your field, into higher dimensions. And it's the, like, it's kind of like the, the Wi-Fi chip, if you will, you know? It's like, it's the hardware component, but the software component in a sense, your field, that's where the information is kind of flowing around. So this flies in the face of what most people would think, but it's, it's incon incontrovertible kind of research that shows that 
your body is not working in what we call physical reality, but rather that your brain is interfacing a higher dimensional reality. Well, what's that? It's these electromagnetic fields I'm talking about, and it's what constitutes what we tend to think of as the mind. Hmm. Yeah, I, you know, with a background in philosophy, the mind-body problem and the question of consciousness is probably the most interesting question in philosophy right now. And I know that it goes beyond philosophy, you know, medicine and whatnot. They're trying to get answers to this. And I personally reject the idea that the brain produces consciousness, that it's just a epiphenomena, you know, consciousness is just an epiphenomena of the brain. And the model that I like sounds pretty consistent with what you're explaining. And this is pretty old school now because we're living in the 21st century and digital age, but the model used to be like radio or television and yeah. that our brains are just set on this station, but all you do, you can change the channel a little bit and have access to more information. And it seems to me that that's what you're suggesting. Yeah, I think that that analogy is a really good one because it's so concrete where a radio, the physical radio is just a conversion device for things that are in the airwaves, if you will. So you could say a radio is just a translation device for something energetic in the, in the airwaves, right? So same thing with the body. Is the body the, the source of the person speaking or is it a translation, a physical representation of something whose origin or like you can't open up a physical radio and find the broadcaster. So, you know, if you said like the mind is the thing speaking or so to speak, you know, it, that the broadcaster's mind is the one generating the, the thing that's that, that they're saying, can you open up the physical radio and find that mind, that broadcaster? No, it's just it's just a physical object. Right. So same thing as a model or an analog with us would be that your field is the thing that's being broadcast through the body and that whatever that essence is in the field, you know, is not what you can find by looking at the matter associated with it. And this of course has to do with in general, that when you start to foray into the ideas of the soul, I mean, the soul of course means when you really look at the etymology of soul, I'm sure you're familiar with this soul is just uh, related etymologically to psyche and mind. So really the, what soul means is mind in, in, in its general essence. Like what, you know, what is it to be a soul? And well, there's lots of things to pick apart in that, but nonetheless, body mind connection is a big deal. And where I'm trying to throw my chips in the pot here and have a bigger conversation, obviously with you and in general, like the book that I've, I've just written and will be coming out this year is all about, I think that the aura, the human energy field is the key is the linkage that solves that problem. And uh, it is the difference between matter and electric and higher dimensional electromagnetic fields. And once we start to investigate this more closely, we're going to uncover a treasure trove of insight about health and well-being, the nature of mind, the nature of self, and even consciousness, which is really the, I guess, the, the pinnacle of the conversation when you get into the whole mind-body thing mm -hmm. and trying to get distilled the very essence of, of the whole shebang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that it, and this is why it fascinates me, is that it's going to open up a lot of conversations. You know, everything that you just said, but even more, 
there is a lot of things or are a lot of things that modern science kind of rejects and says, well, that's nonsense, but it all hangs on a materialist view of consciousness. And when you remove that materialist view of consciousness, and I think this is why there's so much hesitation by some uh, to do this, it just opens the door. It opens yeah. the floodgates to so many other things. Um, yeah. And healing is awesome, <laughs> you know, um, uh, but there are other things as well. So can you tell me anything more about this book that you've written? Yeah, sure. So the book is, there's not a set title at this point, so I'm not going to give one. Yeah, um, publishers always and, pick that anyway. <laughs> exactly. But the book is more or less a 50-50 exploration between like a memoir of sorts in the sense that I, I kind of tell my story and I felt that it was important in writing a first book that I got my story out of the way because if I claim these extraordinary abilities and seeing the human energy field, etc., I want to explain from the ground up A to Z. So I'm really, really transparent about the process that I went through, my own belief systems and structures all along the way and how those changed. And that's 50% of it. You could call it a journey, a story, a memoir, et cetera. And then the other 50% is told in parallel. It's basically like an ABABAB kind of structure where I'm explaining the from the ground up the phenomena, uh, I'm sorry, the, the explanatory frameworks of the phenomena of change that I experienced. So, basic concepts of meditation initially through classical map of advanced stages of meditation like jhana and samadhi the kind of the culmination or advanced stages from yoga and buddhist communities that really have mapped the mind very very well and understand what it is to go deeper and deeper into the the subtle strata and layers of mind until you in a certain sense can transcend mind if that makes sense but nonetheless there's a very clear map of that and how that then starts to connect to things like uh, cutting edge brain science, different kinds of analogies like the radio analogy that we just talked about, the chakra system, Kundalini traditions, Chinese medicine, Dantians, things like that. Just self showing that there's this, this map of transformation that has been described by different cultures with different words and different emphasis, but nonetheless is a, an overall map of what does it mean to go within, to break through the presets that human biology bequeaths, bequeaths us, you know, like everybody, you know, you know, God bless each person who has their faculties to them. You know, they have their hands and feet and legs and everything's working and to be able to sense the world with, through all of your senses. But the thing is like you were kind of talking about a frequency range. You can actually break through, if you will, the frequency range that, that is given to us as a preset and you can actually expand that and go from what we sense as physical and actually start to see that that physical is actually in a certain sense suspended within an energetic matrix that's much more fluid, much more information rich, much more complex than what physical reality shows. I mean, in a certain sense, we know that when we do look at science and you just you just zoom in on a cell and then on DNA and you go, oh my God, like my hand has that much data in it. Like that's crazy, you know, like a thumb drive with genetic code could store all the information that mankind has ever produced ever. One thumb drive full of genetic code is the library of all of human output, right? So genetics alone, right, is an insane amount of information. But 
the field reveals that that is all on uh, on a scaffolding of a kind of an energetic matrix an energetic architecture which is why people talk about you know when they when you look into the world of people who see energy in any particular way you'll often see these kinds of terms like sacred geometry and things like that it's because that's the underlying structuring of your your field is actually a, a geometric lattice structure and we see that in the way that matter is also templated like all of the molecules, hydrogen through whatever on the periodic table, those are literally just forms of geometry, basically, you know, just different ways of playing around with a Rubik's cube of geometry and then different formations or different kinds of archetypal structures, if you will, or mathematical creative structures represent as different, different in a certain sense, frequencies, if you want to talk about it in one way, but in another sense as actual elements on the periodic table that become the building blocks of, of matter. So that's that's in general what the book's about is is giving people both a personal experience like a vicarious personal experience and explaining that and then kind of pushing the edge towards the end of it and opening up to the biggest questions we can kind of ask ourselves about who and what we are what is consciousness what does it mean when we say spirit or god or the divine and is that something that we can know directly is it something that is unknowable is it something science can tackle etc you know so I try and I try and push the envelope a little, and even give some some evocative, provocative ideas, particularly at the end, given that I built up such a map. <laughs> yeah, would you be willing to share maybe just one of the evocative ideas, just to give us a taste? Sure. I mean, this is this will be a little perplexing, maybe, but. Um, One equivalency that I've made thus far in this talk is the idea that your energy field is actually, I would say it's basically a one-to-one -one with what we call the mind. Hmm. And so your field is your mind. Like when, like I said, when your mind is functioning, you can actually literally see it objectively creating structures in your field. And so I would say you have a body and a mind and that, that body and mind is a duality, right? And that duality we see in things like yin and yang from the Asian traditions. But the idea in a certain sense is that we're seeing that reality is formatting itself in a particular way. And it has this dualistic thing. It's like, there's like this reflective system, a yin and a yang, an inside and an outside, a day and a night, a, a mind and a body, a vehicle for experience. And we might say that design principles are carried throughout all of design, all of the universe. And this gets into fractality that like when we look at the at nature, we say nature is designed through fractal means and fractality simply means self-similarity means the same pattern is just repeating itself over and over and over and over and over again. And it looks different at different scales, but it's actually the same pattern, just repeating basically not infinitely, but as far into this universe as we've seen that pattern repeat that the universe started with the very same pattern that began the universe is the very same pattern that created you fundamentally. And that sounds a little strange, but that literally is provably true that nature is fractal. And some people are very surprised by this, but if you repeat one thing, a simple thing over and over, it actually doesn't look like the same thing repeated. It actually keeps varying itself in, in amazing ways. And you can see that like the Mandelbrot set. So a provo the provocative idea I'm setting up for is that mind-body is a yin and yang. It's a splitting and a duality that's very central to our direct experience. But when we look at phenomena of primary dualistic nature, we look at things like electromagnetism. And electromagnetism is a continuum, just like mind-body is a continuum. 
Well, electromagnetism, which underlies the phenomena of light, which as I'm saying, our field is fundamentally electromagnetic, also underlies this big phenomena called time and space, right? Now, time and space are also a continuum. You can't have time without space, you can't have space without time kind of thing. So my suggestion, and I'm not the first to suggest it, is that mind and body is actually the same fractal repetition that time and space is. And that means that your body occupies space and your mind occupies time. And that what we call space is literally, a, there's a repetition from the instantiation of time and space that that same design principle is carried through into the formatting of our experience, which is a mind and body. And that body occupies space and that mind occupies time. You can even see it through, in a certain sense, the ways in which time and space are organized, the language we use. So space is organized in length, width, and height, just like time is organized in present, past, and future. There are three aspects that coordinate. And there's, a, in a certain sense, a parallel gravitational center to each, which is the vertical is the gravitational force, right? So if you stand up, you, you go, your center, your vertical goes to the center of the earth and all of space is organized by this thing called gravity, which is whatever has the most mass pulls you to its center. That's your verticality, right? Well, the present moment is the same thing. And, but that's how time is organized through the present. And if you learn to let go into the present, just like if you learn to let go into gravity, you're gonna go right into the center. If you learn to let go into the present, you're actually gonna start to build exit velocity in which you can actually penetrate the very center of what presence means, which is what meditation's about, which is what enlightenment and awakening, all these things is, can you actually let go into the present so much that you actually, you know, basically break through the confines of this whole time space continuum in the first place. Hmm. And Fascinating. Well, thank you for that. I am looking forward to you publishing this so I can read it and chew on it and we'll have to have, we'll have to talk again. So let me ask, I know we're getting close to the end of our time here. Is there anything else about field dynamics that we haven't touched upon that you feel is important to add? Yeah, well, you know, everything that I've done in my, the last 13, 14 years has culminated in being a co-founder of this energy healing modality. And what we're seeing is that it's really helping people to improve their lives, to give them a toolkit and a skill set to meet the challenges that they have that arise in their life and to be able to meet those things skillfully and to be able to tackle challenging circumstances and, and wind up without the same kinds of stresses that they had in the past before they're learning how to practice energy work. As we've been describing a lot in this talk, energy healing is about working through your field. And the artifacts in the field are these stuck emotions, stuck thoughts, beliefs, et cetera. And when we start to clarify those, then we actually start to have a lot more inner freedom. We start to have a lot more spaciousness within. And meditation does this by itself. If a person meditates regularly, they start to have a more organized mind. They start to have a clearer mind. They have more access to their center. And what we teach is taking the principles of meditation, which is learning to be still, learning to be centered, learning to be grounded, embodied, connected to your body. We're very somatically oriented, despite the fact that we're doing an energy healing practice. We're very, very much about grounding in the body, sensing through the body, never leaving the body, if you will. However, energy healing brings about this highly accelerated process of changes within the mind, 
within the, 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 the field. So you can have a huge amount of change in a short amount of time when you get involved in energy work. And we see this because the main course that we have is six months long. That's how we've been running it the last few years. It's live and online over the course of six months. And we get together eight different weekends over those six months. And what we see is that people change a lot in that short amount of time. They release a tremendous amount of stress and fear. You could call it negative energy, dissonant vibration, uh, limiting beliefs, emotional blockage, etc., and start to feel a lot more peace and centeredness in themselves. And that comes as a result of working through your field. So Field Dynamics was started to provide that kind of experience and container for people. And we've been doing it for years now, and we see that it's really successful in doing so. And energy work is something that people learn something like body work. You can't do body work on yourself so easily. You know, you certainly can't do extensive back work on yourself. If you're an amazing deep tissue massage therapist, you are not doing deep tissue massage on your back the way that you could do on somebody else. Energy work's totally different. Energy work is your practice reflects hundred percent in what you might do if you're working with somebody else. So you, when you, learn your self-practice, you're learning how to work with others almost equally. And this is something you could do every single day and make huge advances in your own inner transformation. And again, it, it's because it's not like a lot of healing practices or modalities in that it's self-applicable as much as it would be and translate into working with others. So it's a very untapped resource. It's something that not enough people are doing as far as I'm concerned in terms of how beneficial it is, how powerful it is, how sustainable it is to practice, how accessible. And also a lot of people just simply don't know what it is. And I understand why it's because there is a very, a very confused overall cacophony of different ways of talking about it and messaging that's out there. And generally speaking, it's very poorly understood just simply very poorly understood. And so field dynamics, we like to say we setting the standard in contemporary energy healing aligned with modern science, et cetera. So we provide very clear language to understand it through scientific lens, or maybe through a more traditional spiritual kind of language, but either or can explain the phenomenology very well. And we provide a very comprehensive experience and container for people to explore this paradigm and this technique in which there's no dogma. It's universal in nature. It's like not a proprietary approach, but rather showing you how does this work from the ground up? What are the nuts and bolts? How easy it is for you to do and how big and vast of an area it is that you can explore and to reap the benefits for yourself. And, and potentially as many people do in the trainings we have, they go on to be interested in, you know, working with others, maybe setting up a practice of their own. A lot of people are on the fence when they come in and for good reason, you know, we didn't, we didn't set it up to go out there and make a bunch of healers, you know, like, oh, you go and be a good professional healer. We're really trying to help people to be empowered in themselves, to get through the things they need to do in themselves. And then if they want to translate that into, you know, a profession or a career or helping others or friends and family, then that's great. So be it. And people do that. We do have a certification path, et cetera. So I'm very, very happy with how things have gone. And I'm really looking forward to what we have coming up. Wonderful. Well, that's a good lead in. What do you have coming up? Yeah, so we discussed when this might be published. So we don't we don't know what date this is happening when somebody might be listening to this. It's possible that somebody would hear this as early as 
early February, and we have our next online training, the next six-month EHT 100, as we call it, the Energy Healers Training 100 Hour. That's starting in February 10th, and that's live and online over six months. And then we also have our first in-person EHT 100 in Bali in April of this year. So we originally created the EHT program, the 100-hour training course, which is 16 days. We originally created it to be live in person. But COVID happened when we basically had started doing these trainings and we had to reformat everything. So we're back now years later, you know, four years later, basically, uh, actually providing this or offering it for the first time in person. So that's mid-April through mid-May in Bali. So for people who are, you know, keen or avid world travelers, they want to be at an absolutely amazing wellness destination and spend a month doing both like cultural immersion and one of the, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in Bali. We I've spent almost a year and a half living in Bali and Bali is a place that everybody should go at some point. It is an amazing, amazing place. And it, there's a reason why it's such a top wellness destination in the world. But if you want to go and, you know, spend a month living there and immersing yourself in the culture and all it has to offer and the beautiful surroundings of nature, and at the same time, do a wonderful healing practice with a, good, with a great community and some good facilitators. And that's going to really appeal to some people. And, and we also have a retreat going on basically the first 10 days of June in Bali as well. So the training is more for you know technical development. And there's a very deep healing and transformational process. But you come out the other end of that training of 24 days with a massive skill set, aside from the personal transformation. Retreats, which we're now doing for the second year, Retreats are more just purely about immersive experience, not so much about, you know, training anything technical, if you will, but rather guiding a kind of or curating a very uh, a healing experience and a cultural immersion and having it be very fun, very community oriented, but also deep at the same time. So that's what we kind of have coming up in 2024, as well as end of the year, we'll have more EHT 100s on the calendar real soon. Wonderful. And where can people go to find out uh, more about these uh, training sessions? So everything of ours is at fielddynamicshealing.com. So that's our name, fielddynamics, and then healing.com. And you can check out all of our stuff. It's uh, quite a bit of information on there. And uh, Christabel and I do have private sessions available with people as well. It's limited, but we do have spots open up often enough. And, and then all the other information about our training program is on the site. Okay. Is there anywhere else online where people can go to find out more about you and your work, social media? Yeah, you know, we've been a little bit on the cold side with social media these years, but we're actually going to change that up this year. So sometime around the middle of the year, we're actually going to have a, a site relaunch and we're going to start to get really involved with social media. Mm -hmm. At the moment, we do have a Facebook page. People can check it out, but we're not particularly okay. active on there. The main resource I actually would point people in the direction of is our podcast. Okay. And what is, what is that? Yeah, it's called the Field Dynamics Podcast. Okay. And we put out an episode every other week. And we've been doing that now for since the summer. Jeez. We're coming up on two. It's a year and a half. Okay. So we've, been, we've had it out for a year and a half now. And basically every other week an episode comes out and it's, it's interview based with experts in the field related to holistic healing and consciousness transformation. So we have lots of really, really awesome guests who are really top in their field. And Christabel and I, the other founder of Field Dynamics, you know, have about an hour conversation with them and 
that that just keeps getting bigger and bigger the that podcast we, we're breaking into the top 50s in a whole bunch of different places and categories and countries so that's really good yeah good wonderful wonderful and that's available on all the major podcast platforms every platform apple you know spotify and actually now even youtube now has the uh, yeah. podcast rss feed so yeah we just we just opened up everything to youtube as well which is cool Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Keith, thank you so much for your time. It's been a very uh, enlightening, enlightening conversation. And I know that there are other areas we could have gone, but for an initial conversation, I think it was fine. I'm looking forward to that book. And when it comes out, I'll have to have you back on and we can chat about that. And that'll give me time to chew on some of these deeper ideas. <laughs> I would love that opportunity. Of course, I will send, I'll make sure to let you know when we publish this, send you a copy and I'd love to come on and, and have that be a navigator for a next conversation. So thank you so much, Nick. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and your audience. And, and thanks a lot. And that's a wrap on episode 118 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you're a part of my YouTube audience. Now, you know what's coming, all the usual. Sign up for my Patreon, share this with friends, family, coworkers, share it on social media, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. You know the grind. But here's the thing. All of that is really important. Putting this podcast together takes a lot of time and effort. Right now, it is a labor of love. I'm in the process of making changes to improve the podcast and the YouTube channel. It's slow going, but your support will help me speed up the process and ensure that I can continue with the podcast and offer much more content than what I provide now. As I always like to say, I'm here in the front range now doing missionary work in regards to religion, spirituality, and ecology, psychedelics, and consciousness, and how all of this can help us heal humanity's relationship with the sacred earth. So if you feel moved by the rebel spirit, and you know, I sure hope that you do, then please, by all means, help me in my efforts to share the good news. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to, or watching, Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit. <laughs>